Well, every day, every single day, in every one of our relationships, and I don't care what context we're talking about, whether it's as parents, as employers, as employees, uh, as ministers, whatever it may be, but in every one of our relationships, we're faced with a very important question, and this is the question. Do I put myself first, my needs, my wants, my desires, me, 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 or do I put others first, their interests and their desires? I think this is a foundational question that we all deal with on one level or another. Every day, in every relationship, in every context, we face this simple test. From the grandest and most important things in life to the simplest details in our lives, we have to decide who's most important, ourselves or other people. It doesn't matter whether you're young or old or married or single, whether you have children or whether you're childless, whether you're single, divorced, separated, employed, unemployed, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Every one of us must decide every day whether we're going to serve others or serve ourselves. Jesus called this the test of true greatness. Not greatness as the world defines it, but greatness as God defines it. Kingdom greatness. And this is what greatness is. It's our willingness, our willingness to humble ourselves and to serve other people. Our willingness to humble ourselves and to serve other people. To humbly put the needs and the interests of others above our own. This is what it means to be truly great in God's kingdom. And how difficult is this to do? To consistently and faithfully and intentionally consider the needs of others and to place their needs above our own needs. Because my needs are so great, right? God calls us to do this. We're to be great in His kingdom. In speaking to His disciples, Jesus said this, The greatest among you, and He's speaking to us, by the way, as well, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves, Jesus said, will be exalted. So the choice... The test really is this. Will we exalt ourselves in every way, in every relationship, or will we humble ourselves? Will we serve ourselves or will we serve others? That's the test. As followers of Christ, this is really where we demonstrate our character. This is really where we show our true colors, where we show what we're made of. This simple test determines whether we are great in the kingdom of God. And I have to tell you, I ask this question. So if this means that we're great in the kingdom of God, what happens when we choose not to do this? Does it mean we're mediocre in the kingdom of God? Does it mean we're not so great? What does it mean? Jesus says when we do this, we're great in the kingdom. We're great in the kingdom. So this morning, I want to look at what Jesus had to say about humility. The title of this message is about servanthood. But before servanthood, before we can serve people, comes humility. It's about here. It's about our hearts. It's about what's going on inside of us. We're going to talk about what it means to become truly great in God's kingdom. Which, by the way, is very different than what it means to become great according to the world's standards. I also want us to consider 
how we can allow humility to inform all of our relationships. That is how we can allow humility to manage our all-too-human and oftentimes sinful tendencies to place our needs and our desires above those of other people. And I have to confess something to you. I told Darlene on Friday afternoon, this possibly could be the worst sermon that I've ever preached. Okay? And then I looked at it and I said, oh, this is a really great sermon. No, I didn't say that. And the reason I said that is I thought about it. This, this topic is so incredibly important. And how do you talk about humility? I mean, we don't talk about it much. You know, we talk about being servants. This is what it means to serve. You go and do this and do that and do the other thing. But we don't oftentimes talk about the heart of what it means to serve, which is humility, which is considering others better than ourselves, which is putting the needs of others above our own needs. It goes against everything in us, everything humanly innate in us. It goes against that. And yet God calls us to do it. So what are those tendencies in us? What are those things in us that creep out, that ooze out, that make us place our needs above the needs of other people? What are they? Well, here's the first one. Ambition. I want to consider how we might allow humility to manage our ambition. I suspect that we are an ambitious bunch in this church. We're successful, many of us. You know, we have good jobs. We look good. We're on the upward, you know, sort of trend in terms of our careers. We're ambitious. Turn to Matthew 18 if you have a Bible. I'm going to look at four different accounts that Jesus talks about this idea of humility. And the first one is in Matthew 18. We find the disciples arguing, as they often did, about which of them would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. (laughs) Imagine Christ's frustration with these guys. Now, first of all, give them a a, a break in the sense that most of them were probably teenagers. But he's chosen these 12 to change the world. Okay? I mean, literally, to change the world. And they simply, time after time after time don't get it, right? They fight among themselves, they argue, they make stupid decisions, they sound a lot like us. I can hear some of these conversations. I'm better than you are. No, you're not. My dad's stronger than your dad. I can beat you up. I mean, that's sort of what I imagine going on here. So they come to Jesus and they say, you know, which one of us can, can, can sit next to you in the kingdom? I'm sure that at times Jesus must have wondered, did I choose the right people? And I'm sure that he wonders that about us from time to time as well. Even though the disciples didn't get it, I mean, they often didn't get it, even though they lacked faith and they argued over silly things, even though they always seemed to be about five steps behind Jesus, he patiently taught them the ways of the kingdom. He used moments like this when most of us would say, you know, oh, you are just clueless. You are a knucklehead. Why do you continue to ask those questions? He used it as a teachable moment. And in this instance, he brings a little child into their midst. It was so awesome to have Lacey this morning because it's such a picture of this. He brings a little child into their midst and he offers an object lesson to them. And he says this, unless you become like this child you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes a humble place, becoming like this child, is the greatest, Jesus says, in the kingdom of heaven. That must have taken the wind out of their sails a bit. 
Notice that he didn't scold the disciples for being ambitious. He doesn't tell them to set aside their ambition, nor does he tell them not to desire greatness. He doesn't talk about that stuff. Instead, he teaches them through this little child to let humility, to let humility manage their ambition. And that's the key for us, right? What is it that manages your ambition? What's in your heart? Why are you ambitious? What are you ambitious for? And the problem is not that we're ambitious people. Ambition can be a good thing from time to time. The problem is that we allow pride rather than humility to manage our ambition. We allow pride rather than humility to drive our ambition. We become unattractive, single-minded, self-serving people when we allow pride to manage our ambition. You know people like this. Some of you are people like this. I've been a person like this. What is it that drives your ambition? But when we allow humility to manage our ambition, all the gifts that God has given us, right, all the abilities, all the dreams that He's placed in us, they begin to show themselves in our life. Those become the things that people see. So allow humility to manage your ambition. So my question to you this morning is this, and I want you to think about this. As you consider all of your relationships, okay, parents, spouses, friends, employees, as you consider those, what's the picture that you see in your mind? Are you overly ambitious? Are you always trying to get your way? Are you always trying to get things done? Are you like an uncaged lion roaring and clawing itself to the, to the top of the food chain? That's what greatness means, by the way, doesn't it? In our culture, you know, the strongest, the most aggressive, the most outspoken, the roaring lions, those are the ones who get ahead. Or are you like a little child, humble and trusting and dependent upon your heavenly Father? Jesus says that true greatness in the kingdom looks much more like a little child than it does a roaring lion. True greatness in the kingdom begins with childlike faith and dependence upon God. It is upside down from how our culture and how the world understands greatness. It begins with humility. It begins with the kind of humility that manages our selfish ambitions and drives it in a direction and improves and enhances our relationships rather than destroys them. Many, many relationships have been destroyed by ambition. You know, as we've clamored for the top rung, um, many of us have trampled a lot of people. So allow humility to manage your ambition. And then there's our need to stand out, to be noticed. We need to allow humility to manage that need as well. I suspect that most of us really want to be noticed. If you're a parent with teenagers, you wish your teenagers would notice you from time to time, or at least listen to you from time to time. So we turn to Matthew 23 this time, and we find the disciples once again arguing about greatness. They didn't get it the first time, so Jesus teaches them, and later they continue to argue about it, so in only the way that he could, he says, I'm going to to teach you again. I'm going to use a different picture this time. But they're clamoring for the top spot. They're wanting to be noticed. They're vying for their place in the kingdom of God. Who's going to be the greatest? In one of the other Gospels, they actually send their mother to Jesus. 
right? To, for her to ask, which is so typical of what we do sometimes. Do you ever have a need to be noticed? Do you? I think you do. By your children, by your spouse, by your employer, by people here in this church. We all do. We all want to be noticed because when we're noticed, we feel better about who we are. And we all struggle. And unfortunately, some of us will do just about anything to be noticed by people. We'll do just about anything. Jesus used a group of religious leaders to teach his disciples a lesson, the Pharisees. He used them as an example of people who would do just about anything, even in their religious practice, to be noticed. He warned his disciples not to model themselves after these men. Why? Because everything they did, everything they did, all of their actions were for the benefit of other people. They performed in order to be noticed by other people. Some of us are performers. We've grown up performing for our parents. And as we've gotten older, we continue to perform. These Pharisees were performers. Jesus gives the disciples a list of all the things the Pharisees did to be noticed. They made their phylacteries. Now there's a word for you. Phylacteries, little boxes, right? With scripture in them that they wore on their forehead. You think that's weird, right? They wore little boxes with scripture in them on their forehead. Jesus said they make their phylacteries wide. In other words, you know, they want to be noticed. They want that to be a big deal. They wear long tassels on their clothing. They love the place of honor at banquets. And they love to be called rabbi. Now before you write these Pharisees off as ancient and strange and therefore irrelevant, I want to suggest that you and I are not too different than Pharisees. Both in our religious practice and the way we seek after notice by other people. We seek notoriety in some pretty strange ways. We go out of our way to impress other people oftentimes. For example... I don't think that God really cares much about the make of car that you and I drive. I don't think that He cares about the kind of clothing we wear or the type of house that we live in. But I do think that God cares deeply, profoundly, why we drive certain cars, why we wear certain clothes, why we choose to live in certain kinds of houses. If we make these choices in order to be noticed or to impress other people, then we have a problem. In fact, I would suggest that we're no different than these Pharisees. Jesus said to beware of this tendency in ourselves. If you need to be noticed, if you are hungry to be noticed by other people, it will tear you up. And it will tear up the relationships that you're in. C.S. Lewis said something profound about humility. This is what he said, If anyone would like to acquire humility... I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that he is proud. The truth is, I'm proud. The truth is, you're proud. We're all proud. We all have to deal with pride in our lives. All of us. And if we're really honest, we would much rather have our needs noticed than notice the needs of other people. Why should I care about you, or you, or you, When no one notices me. So as soon as you begin to care about me, then maybe I'll begin to care about you. That's the way we think. 
And if we're really honest, we think like that a lot. I don't have it in me to to care for you because I have so many of my own needs. I want to be noticed. All of us, left to our own devices, would prefer to exalt ourselves rather than humble ourselves. But Jesus says that true greatness comes as we humble ourselves, as we choose to notice other people and not always have other people notice us. Allow humility to manage your need to be noticed. So we're ambitious. We like to be noticed. And there's another thing. We seek honor. We want the best place at the dinner party. We need to allow humility to manage our desire to seek honor. So speaking of dinner parties, in Luke 14, Jesus attends a dinner party at a Pharisee's home. And he notices how the guests are picking their places to sit. I would love to have been in a situation with Jesus to see how he watched people. So he was watching where they were picking their places to sit. And he shares a parable with his followers about a banquet. And he tells his disciples that when they're invited to such a gathering as this, they should take the lowest place, the worst seat, so that when the host comes, he'll notice and he'll move them up to a better seat. And then he repeats this familiar refrain, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. In other words, don't waste your time worrying about honor. You'll receive the greatest honor in the end. And that's what I think Jesus is really saying in this parable. And we spend so much time, don't we, worrying about honor, getting honored, who got honored, who didn't, who got the promotion, who got the big expense account, who got the company car, who got laid off, who got invited to the, uh, to the dinner party at the boss's house. The truth is, you and I ultimately live our lives for an audience of one, for God. In the end... It doesn't really matter what people think of us. Do you believe that? I know you want to, but do you really believe that? It doesn't make a difference what someone else thinks of you. What matters is that God knows you, and what matters is what He thinks of you. It doesn't matter what the people we work with say. Yes, it's important to have credibility and and character and all those things, but ultimately it doesn't matter what they think of you. It doesn't even really matter what your family says about you. What really matters is what God thinks and says about you. Great preacher Charles Finney, who was an attorney, and then he was converted from that lifestyle. (laughs) Sorry, Steve. Um, No, he was an attorney, and then he became uh, an evangelist, right? And listen to what he said. And this is so much, I think, of the way that we think about humility. He says, I used to think that God's gifts were on shelves, one above the other. And the taller that we grew, the easier it would be to reach those gifts. But now I find that God's gifts are on shelves, one below the other one. And the lower I stoop, the more I receive. Will you exalt yourself or will you humble yourself? Humility is the path to greatness in God's kingdom. Allow humility to manage your desire to seek honor. And then finally, and perhaps most importantly, we must allow humility to guide our relationship with God. Foundational. Humility must guide our relationship with God. In Luke 18, there's an account of a Pharisee and a tax collector. You may be familiar with this. 
two prayers and two prayers. One is a religious leader, esteemed by those in ancient Israel, for the most part. The other is a tax collector, a traitor, a crook, despised by almost everyone in Israel. There is a huge gap between these two. They're in the temple, and the Pharisee prays like this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and even this tax collector. I hope we don't pray like this. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of everything I get. I tithe. I give to the growth fund. I show up at prayer meetings. I'm in Bible studies. Pretty impressive stuff. The tax collector prays this prayer. God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus says to his disciples, Who do you think was justified in God's sight? The Pharisee or the tax collector? And of course the answer is the tax collector. Why? Because he was humble. He was honest. And because of that he was acceptable to God. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. When we allow humility to guide our relationship with God, it means that we trust God with our lives. We really trust Him. We depend on Him. It means that we trust the fact that God wants to be every part of every relationship that we're in. He wants to be intimately involved in our lives. I had a conversation with somebody this past week, and they mentioned you know, trusting God. And, and, and the response to that was, well, whatever that means. You know, Christians just throw this word around. You know, whatever it means to trust God with your life. I think it means that we are dependent. We trust God. Humility also means another thing. It means that we understand clearly who we are. That we're sinners. That we're broken. That we're imperfect. That we are in need of a Savior. The tax collector understood this. And as a result, he was justified by God. He knew who he was. And in 1 Peter... We read this, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and he will lift you up in due time. I want God's grace. I want to live by God's grace. I want to experience God's grace in my life. I need the grace of God. We all do. But it requires humility. It means recognizing who we are before God, that we're in need of help. It means recognizing that only Jesus Christ can forgive our sins and transform our lives. It means that we need to ask Him to forgive us. That, my friends, is a very humbling thing to do. And I think there's a lot of people who follow Christ who have never honestly come before Him and said, this is who I am, I desperately need you. We are so stinking capable. We're gifted beyond belief. I look around this room and I know many of you. And it's like you are too gifted for your own good. So yeah, give thanks for that. But also recognize who you are before God. You're broken. You're imperfect. You're in need of a Savior. And by the way, we will never get this thing right here. Someday, when we see Him face to face, it'll be good. But until then, we will struggle. We will struggle. We need to come to God and say, I need you and I can't do this on my own. If you haven't ever done that, do it today. 
God brings all of us to a point in our lives where we have to finally, I think, just give up. And He uses different means to get us there. But all of us eventually get to that point. And maybe today's that day for some of you where you say, you know what? I'm done fighting. I'm done running. I'm done trying so hard. And I just simply give up. God, you can have my life. Be careful when you pray that prayer, by the way. You know, the I'll do anything you ask me to do prayer because you may end up doing what I'm doing or, uh, or something worse. Um, no, I'm serious. That's where God wants to bring us. Humility is required both to begin a relationship with God and to sustain it. So you don't just at one time humbly say, I'm a sinner, forgive me. But throughout our lives, we come to God over and over and we say, God, I am in need of your grace and your mercy because I am a sinner. Would you please empower me and help me today uh, to, to just get through life? Sometimes that's what it is. Humility is the mark of greatness in the kingdom. It's the mark of a great leader. It's the mark of a great manager. It's the mark of a great mom, of a great dad. It's the mark of a great husband or wife. It's the mark of a great friend. Humility is the mark of greatness. And simply put, our greatness, our true greatness in God's kingdom is not measured by the way we talk. It's not measured by how many Bible verses we've memorized or how well we know the scriptures. Our true greatness isn't measured by the accomplishments that we've racked up. It's not measured by the recognition that we've received from others. Our greatness is measured by our care and our concern for other people. It's measured by our willingness to put our needs aside and consider others better than ourselves. It's our willingness to humble ourselves and to serve other people, to place their needs above our own. That is greatness. That is what God calls us to, each one of us.